last week, um, I uh, entitled a message, uh, but wait, there's more. You know, it's a play on words, you know, you see the ads on TV, but wait, there's more. I mean, here's the deal, but mate, it's your lucky day because there's even more. And I've used that often in my um, messages. Uh, and I played a little, a bit of a play on those words, but wait, there's more. But rather than, but wait, there's more, wait for more. You see, wait for more. God has more for us. And sometimes instead of rushing ahead at 90 miles an hour with an idea, we need to wait for the more that God wants to give us in order for us to do what he's called us to do. You with me? The disciples in Matthew chapter um, 17 uh, had hit a wall. There was a a child with leprosy. Uh, They couldn't, they didn't have the authority or the power to bring healing to that child. And uh, Jesus steps into the scene and he uh, rewards their failure with these words. Very harsh. Then Jesus said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And of course, Jesus heals the child. But here's the point. The disciples had hit a wall There was something about the perversity of the generation uh, that Jesus was addressing and also the area of doubt that had caused a stumble and an inability for them to break through into this area of uh, delivering this child. And the disciples afterwards, uh, after that rebuke from Jesus, come up to him and they say, Jesus, uh, where did we go wrong? What happened? Because they'd already seen some miracles that had already been sent out as a group and they had been amazed at the wonder of what he'd done. But there was this wall in front and they say, Jesus, why? And Jesus responds by saying uh, in Matthew 17, 20 to 21. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Verse 21, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So we looked at that aspect last week, the fact of fasting and prayer together are a weapon against doubt and a weapon against a lack of authority. And all over the world at the moment, there is a thirst going on and there are pockets of fire breaking out across the planet because there are people who are crying out to God that they want to bust through the barrier of their own doubt and their own lack of authority in churches. You understand what I'm saying? And that's why for me, uh, I've been on a journey of fasting recently and will continue. And because I love you so much, I want you to come join on this journey of seeking him more. Hallelujah. So as I said earlier, uh, Easter, the week leading up to Easter, uh, I want to engage as a church with prayer and fasting. And I want to get the guys in Africa on board as well. Gold Coast, Cobram, hallelujah. I also talked last week about the fact that Even Jesus needed the power 
of the Holy Spirit. It says that when he was baptized, that the Holy Spirit came down upon him like a dove. And then it says in Luke 4.18, when Jesus got up to speak out of the book of Isaiah, he quoted that the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. You see, Jesus, the Word, needed the anointing for it to travel out and do what it was meant to do. How much more do you and I, now have you ever heard a dead preacher or somebody who speaks Scripture and it just sounds dead and powerless? I want to tell you why. Because it lacks the Spirit. Jesus needed the Holy Spirit. And the, the word in the Greek is pneuma. Pneuma basically means the breath of God. See, we need the breath of God to speak out his word. Jesus himself needed the pneuma, breath of God, to speak out the word. And prayer and fasting is a way of separating, engaging and seeking God where the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, can breathe upon us. Hallelujah. Can I have an amen? Is that good theology? Good. Right. This morning, we're going to go a little over. Apologies, but that's how it works. Um, Give him your heart. Or giving him your heart. I've entitled my message, Giving Him Your Heart. Now, many, many years ago, someone said to me, Keith, you need to give God your heart. I was an unbeliever. I didn't know what that meant. But they said, Keith, you know, if you will only give God your heart, your life will change. It's an interesting saying. Have you heard that saying, anybody? Have you heard? I've even said it to people in my journey, uh, these 40 years of them, saying to people, you need to give Jesus your heart. With me? It's an interesting statement, actually. What does it mean? Well, it means to give him everything that you are, uh, everything about you, your, your mind, your, your uh, emotions, your will, your desires, uh, your sin. You've got to give him, which I'll get to. Um, you've got to give over to him everything about you. And we also use that saying um, about to sort of um, put a line where we say, well, that person hasn't yet given Jesus his heart, and that person has, we're uh, unsaved and saved, right? You see the language? Interesting thing though, giving him his, giving him your heart. Because the heart, according to some scripture, is not a very pretty thing. But we're to give it to him, real interesting. So, Jeremiah 17, 17, 9 through to 10 in the New King James Version says, the heart is deceitful among all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is desperately wicked. So we're going to give him this desperately wicked thing. How crazy. When we give him our heart, we're giving this thing that has been described by Jeremiah, a prophet, something that is deceitful. Real interesting. Because here's the thing, we give him our heart, but we don't just do it to him once, 
Because this heart that is deceitful, that is wicked, can sometimes lie to us about what it really is and, and what's going on inside ourselves. And uh, it's a progressive journey of allowing God access to this deceitful heart. You with me? Interesting. See, prayer and fasting is this process where we uh, engage at a closest or more intense time in our lives where we allow Him a deeper access to our hearts. Hallelujah. So the heart is deceitful. The word deceit means to deceive, to lie, to be untruthful, to be polluted, to have wrong, mo- uh, wrong motives, and even to not be trusted. Because if you know someone that's deceitful, you ain't going to trust that person, true? So you're carrying on board something that at times you can't trust. Whoa, interesting. <clears throat> Paul himself in Romans 7.24 said, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he goes on to talk about Jesus. So Paul knew and realized and recognized and acknowledged the same thing that Jeremiah said, that this thing, my heart, has a wickedness about it. Hallelujah. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4 through to 5, he talks of the conscience. See, the conscience is our capacity to know or discern what's going in the heart. This deceitful and wicked thing, we have a conscience that is supposed to expose wrong stuff. But this is what Paul said. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So Paul, the great apostle, is saying... I don't feel any guilt at the moment for anything. My, my conscience isn't telling me, you know, hey, uh, I've done wrong, but I'm not trusting my conscience. I've got to trust in the judgment of God because my heart can be deceptive and lie to me sometimes. See, friends, you have a conscience that can be lying to you right now. It can be, you think you're sweet. You think you're a righteous person. But friend, just because your conscience is telling you that, that doesn't mean to say it's true. And see, that's where the danger of this disease that the scribes and the Pharisees had, which is called self-righteousness. And in fact, if there's anything you want to agitate Jesus about, come up and preach with me, yes. If there's anything that activates and annoys Jesus, it's the self-righteousness that can hide in our wicked and dark heart. Hallelujah. But nobody hears like that. Everybody is perfect here. Well, by faith we are. But remember, it is a process of allowing God of sanctification. You know, the doctrine of sanctification. We're made holy, but it's we're being made holy. We are seen as God as righteous because of the blood of Jesus. But there's a process of allowing our hearts to be transformed and changed. Hallelujah. That's why it says in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, 
above everything. Hey, hey, you know, you can be doing this and doing this and there's all this stuff and you're seeking, you know, whatever. But above all else, guard your heart. See, the danger, and we fall into it, is we do not guard our heart the way we should, even when we're Christians. And see, that's where we can get inside our hearts because we're not guarding it the way we should through the Word of God and prayer and time at church and hearing the Word and, and worship is that we fail to guard this thing that says, above all else, you've got to guard this baby because remember Jeremiah said, this thing can be deceitful and wicked and lie to you. Pretty scary. Wonder why you hear ministers who fall. Friend, the heart was not guarded the way it should have been. I've had the sadness of working with people that that's happened to. Terry and I had to deal with a couple of situations where our pastors over there had not guarded their heart. Sadly, it damaged, did some damage. Because the heart and your conscience can lie. That's why church is so important. Iron sharpens iron. We keep each other accountable. I have people who keep me accountable. Drives me nuts. No, it's good. You know, they examine my heart. It's good, Terry. It's good. Stewie, who is happy that Stewie is here? Stewie, Stewie, Libby, Libby. Pillars. I was saying to Stewie, you know, Cobram, you know, you could come back a little more now, maybe. I'm just testing the water, Stewie. You know, because that man, uh, Ruth, great. You know, the legacy of what we do when we serve Jesus. How good is that? Honouring you, my friend. When we have our elders meetings, you know, Tara and I, sometimes just want to like, let's deal with those things. Stewie's like, yeah, but we've got to love these people. Why? No, of course we do. But, you know, lovely heart. Terry, you and I got a good heart too, though. Can I have an amen about that? Good, good, good. Good. Right. What did we get up to? Proverbs tells us we need to guard our heart. Interesting. David described as a man with a heart after God. God recognized David as a man with a heart after him. But David mucked up badly. In fact, David mucked up so badly with Bathsheba and setting his, her husband up to die that a prophet had to come to David because David's heart had the conscience, remember that lies, had been lying to David that what he did was okay. And God had to send a prophet, uh, an external voice, that had to get inside David and say, mate, you got some bad stuff in your heart. See, we need external voices. We need other Christians. We need the Holy Spirit to be keeping our hearts accountable. You with me? Note what David did. 
after he had blown it. And the child from him and Bathsheba was very sick. Note what David did. Uh, 2 Samuel 12, 16 NIV. And David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the night lying in sackcloth on the ground. David had to be confronted and David responded when his heart was exposed to get on his knees and fast and seek God. See, there are typologies, there are practices that are both old and new. Now note, Psalm 23 is a result, because it was uh, Psalm 51, sorry, is a result of after Nathan had confronted David and David had spent time uh, on his knees in sackcloth, fasting, crying out to God. Note, note David's prayer. This is a prayer or a song written by David at that moment in his life. Uh, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. That word Holy Spirit, again, has the same, even though it's a Hebrew Old Testament word, has the same definition as Numa, the Greek, which is this, the breath of God. David's saying, God, I've blown it. God, my heart is a mess. Change it. Create it in a new thing. Please, God, don't take the breath of your spirit from me. Hallelujah. Am I getting a... Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted. Note, all of that. And then the tail end of his seeking God. Lord, then I can represent you. Then you can use my life to convert the lost friends. The church needs to be crying out to God so that we have the heart and cry of God. Jesus, and we cry out that prayer of David. God, cause my life to be something that will teach sinners the lost. And bring conversion to this world I live in. To bring conversion to my children. To bring conversion to my family. To bring conversion to my husband. Are you with me? Note. Fasting. Crying out to God. Hallelujah. Now. The kicker. Matthew. Jesus. Remember, I said last week, Jesus needed the breath of God. Church, we need the breath of God. Hallelujah. We are desperate. We desperately, our world desperately needs the breath of God coming out of you. Your family, your children, your little children, they don't need natural, they need the breath of God coming from parents. Because there's rubbish being poured out on them from every quarter in this world we live in. 
And we're not to fold or boo-hoo, let's blame the education or whatever, or government. Friend, the breath of God is greater than the breath of man. Matthew, watch this, 4, 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. See, what had happened was, he gets baptized, the dove rests upon him, and then it says that he then was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit to do something. Watch. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. This is the, this is the Messiah. This is the Word made flesh. This isn't some bony. This is Jesus. This is the master of the universe trying to get us to see something about what he had to do and we have to follow. Remember, you're meant to be a... Oh, well, I I just said Jesus is my Lord. Well, he's meant to be. You're meant to be a follower. Not one moment when you say one prayer and it's all good. You are being taught to be a disciple. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Follow Jesus. That's what it means. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Note, to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit is leading Jesus to the wilderness because the devil was going to tempt him. Cool. Off Jesus goes to the desert. Come on, devil. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Word made flesh. Put your dukes up. He didn't do that. What did he do? The Son of God had to do something in the wilderness in order to survive the temptation because the Bible says of Jesus that he was not just fully God, but it says that he was fully man, which basically means Jesus was carrying this thing that could be desperately wicked himself. Understand that? He's carrying that thing that we're carrying that can lie to us and be deceitful. Jesus had that same challenge. And it says this, after fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. My God, would I be hungry? I'd be dead, I don't know. 40 days and 40 nights, he had to fast Because he's led by the Spirit because he was about to confront the most evil, wicked being in the universe. Are we dumb? Are we arrogant? Do we think we, we are smarter or better than Jesus? I hate self-righteous, oh, I should, no. I love self-righteous Christians but they are not a joy to be around. Prayer and fasting. How come he didn't go and kick the devil's butt first and then pray and fast after that? Friend, because there was a pattern. There was a path. Remember he said, I am the way? Friends, he demonstrates the way. He needed the Holy Spirit. There are Christians that think, just because I have the Holy Spirit, it's all good and I can carry on. What a load of crap. You are a sucker and listening to lies. Because you ain't no better than Jesus, friend. 
That's an arrogant statement. Of course we need the Holy Spirit. But friend, your heart needs a lifetime of transformation. Because your heart is the area where the devil attacks. You get me? Hallelujah. For me, I carry that dirty, ugly bit in me too. And I'm a pastor, but I've got a wicked, wretched part of me that I'm on a journey of exposing and killing with the help of God. And I have found that there are times in my life where I am called to let him, because I draw closer to him. See, you don't fast to confess your sin. We've already done that. You fast and seek him to let him draw nearer so that the light and the glory of him will expose the darkness that is hidden in our hearts. Hallelujah. Am I with you? Are you with me? When I was first a Christian, uh, there was a man who was born in the late 1700s and uh, lived through the 1800s, the first half of the century in the United States of America, a man named Charles Finney. A lot of, a lot of people today don't know about Charles Finney. Charles Finney uh, was one of the greatest revivalists ever on the planet Earth. Charles Finney would enter a room and people would fall on the ground because the anointing or the breath of God was so strong on that man that their sin would be exposed and they'd just fall on the ground. He would ride through towns, and this is, this is an historical fact. He would ride through towns and there would be God's spirit would spread from wherever he was and people would fall in the street and confess sin. You know... Um, I'm going to read you something Charles Finney said. I got stuck into him a long time ago. And man, if you want to get a challenge, read Charles Finney. He was a massive, powerful revivalist. He wrote many amazing things. And he had the fruit that flowed from his life. He walked through a factory one day. And he just walked in and there were people, it was like a... Um, uh, a factory in there, heaps of people working there. People were just at their machines working and they fell on their knees before God. You know, it talks about Peter. Peter, when he walked, as he uh, had gone on that journey with the Holy Spirit, that even his shadow would fall and heal people. Why? Because the breath of God, the authority, had had a lot of access to these people. This is what Charles Finney said. There's a book he wrote called Power From On High. Ah, uh, if you want a challenge, read that baby, I'll tell you. This is Charles Finney. To, honor God, uh, to the honour of God alone, I will say a little of my own experience in this matter. I was powerfully converted on the morning of the 10th of October and the evening of the same day. And on that morning, the following day, I received the overwhelming baptisms of the Holy Ghost. Uh, that went through me as it seemed to me, body and soul. I immediately found... Uh, myself endued with such power from on high that a few words dropped here and there to individuals uh, uh, was the means for their immediate conversion. 
My words seem to be fastened like barbs of arrows in the souls of men. Uh, They cut like a sword. They broke the heart like a hammer. Uh, Multitudes can attest to this. History records the truth. Often, oftentimes, a word dropped without my remembering it would fasten conviction and often result in almost the immediate conversion. Sometimes I would find myself in a great measure empty of this power. I would go out and visit and find that I made no saving impression. I would exhort and pray with the same result. No power. I would then then set apart a day of private fasting and prayer, fearing that the power had departed from me and would inquire anxiously after the reason for this apparent emptiness, powerlessness, lack of authority. After humbling myself and crying out for help, the power would return upon me with all freshness. This has been my experience all my life. Friends, I've been doing this a long time and I know I have had moments when I rely on my gift because the tank of the anointing has been emptied. And I can speak and I can preach because God has given me a talent. But friend, the gift without the breath doesn't break the yoke. The gift without the breath of God It's just words. The world doesn't need powerless Christians. The church doesn't need powerless preachers. The church needs people carrying the breath of God. Is there anybody in this room here who can, I've got got all I need. Anybody here think they've arrived where they're carrying all the authority and power they need. Anybody give me a wave? Oh my gosh, nobody. Anybody here wish they had more authority to touch their family? Anybody here wish they had more authority to touch the people around them they love? Anybody give me a wave? Jesus showed us a path. Charles Finney attests. He attests to the path Jesus has given us. And sometimes it is important for us and for you as an individual that you grab hold of the gift that God has given us of prayer and fasting. And because I love you, I'm opening up for you. You can do that. Is that good? Am I a good person to you? I'm not hearing the amen anymore. (laughs) Here's the thing. God hit me hard and said, do you love food or do you love me? Do you love food or do you love me? Do you love him more than you love your comfort? Do you love him more than your steaky or whatever? I don't know. Fasting, my friends is going without food. You know what the definition in both the New and the Old Testament is for fasting? To not eat food. (laughs) Now I'll say this to you. If you have a medical issue and you are carrying medical issues that are related to what you eat, well then you need to talk to your doctor. 
you need to talk to him. Because I'm not a doctor, and I'm not trying to put a burden on you if that is your case. But if you don't have that, then friend, I want to inspire you and encourage you to join us as a church to seek him through fasting from Monday leading through into Easter. On Easter Friday, we're going to have a communion together as a church. On Saturday of Easter, we're going to have a worship night to worship the one who should be worshipped. And on Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. I'm not saying to you, you've got to fast, all of that. What I'm saying to you is, friend, you talk to God. Because remember, Jesus was led by the Spirit. The Spirit has been leading me the same way. I feel I'm under the anointing this morning. I feel I'm speaking under that anointing authority to you. You ask him what you should do. Because, friend, it will change you. You might not like what you see at the beginning, but at the end, hallelujah, Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. You know, God, we are all frail. As Paul said, there's a wretchedness, there's a wickedness in us. And it is ugly. And Lord, it is so deceitful and full of deception that even our conscience can be tricked and lied to. Holy Spirit, comforter, teacher, guide, I pray for each person here and those who will hear this message. Bring, Spirit, speak to them of the plan of God and fasting and prayer together. If there's anybody here this morning and you have not made a commitment to Jesus, give me a wave. I know most of you. So that's all good. If you, if you, if you, um, if you uh, uh, agree or sense uh, my message this morning has touched your heart and you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you about seeking him more, I just want you to stand up to God. While if that's you, if you're here, I'm standing because that's me, man. I hear the Holy Spirit speaking to me. If that is you, I want you to stand. There's nobody who's not saved as far as I know, so let's forget that one. If you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you, just acknowledge to him by standing. Acknowledge to him, God, I'm hearing. Lord, continue to guide these and your church. In Jesus' name, amen.